long story short, he shot his dad, Baba Stubby Fingers. Welcome yeah, back. Yep, I was just saying a prayer to make sure that God used me as the mouthpiece he needed as we did this podcast. That's um, great. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only podcast that can't find India on the map. With me today... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Is India like a country? I think it's actually a state. It's next to Ohio. Oh, yes, I've been there before. I right. thought some of those scenes looked familiar. It's where Chicagolis is at. Ah, oh, yes. Chicagolis. Ch- Chicagolis, India. Okay. <laughs> With... <laughs> <laughs> it's, that right there might be the best segment of the whole show. <laughs> Probably. With me today... He is the worst Scott that I know, and that includes the ones in this movie. He's Scott Judge, my best buddy. Woohoo! And me, well, I'm Zach Geiler, and you have poor taste in podcasts. <laughs> if you haven't already... Follow us. You do, listener. Apparently don't know what you're missing. Because I guarantee, in podcast world, there's something better than someone that you could listen to. Oh, I guarantee it. Because some people actually make money doing this. So, Really? How much yeah. have we made this for? Uh, about negative $300. Ah, I wonder what happened to my bank account. But, uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about the second half of the movie... R-R-R-R-R-R. It's a movie about a stuttering pirate. And <laughs> that's a pretty good it's, joke. I'm pretty proud colorful. of that joke. Right off and the top of my colorful head. colorful peacock. Right. He should have had a parrot, but... I don't know what you're talking about. But anyways, before we begin, um, I'm thinking about giving my infant son away. Well, there's many families out there that are looking for a child. Yeah, well, I, I just don't know if I can look at my child with... Uh, I, I don't you know. It's a there, really there, weird place for an awkward pause. I just don't know that I can look at my child. I mean, that's basically it. I don't know. that Something happened in our relationship that threw up a barrier that I'm trying to figure out how to cross... But it is a barrier. Um, Scott, do you know what a Wendy is? Not the restaurant where you can get a delicious cheeseburger, but mm-hmm. the the tool that you can use for for babies. No, I don't. That's something new, apparently. Well, it's by the people that make nose fritas. Do you know what a nose frita is, Scott? What is a nose frita? Well, a nose frita is basically a straw that uh-huh. has a little HEPA filter in it that you stick in your kid's nose and you suck the snot out with. 
Ooh, with man. your mouth. With your mouth. Uh-huh. All right. So the same people that made that makes the Wendy. The Wendy is not as uh as intensive, I guess you could say. It doesn't create as uh or, or it doesn't need as much parental involvement as the the nose Frida does, but it's a, it is still a straw, but it is uh, a straw that goes in your baby's bottom and helps them relieve gas. And it works you like a champion. Suck that out too? No, you don't. You just stick it in there, and it's just like a little tunnel, and it whistles. It's pretty fun. Um, anyways, <laughs> are you anyway. being? I got, are you being serious right now? Yes, I have to do this to Philip like every single day because every day he's gassy and he cries, and so I do it to relieve him of his gas because I'm a good dad. Now, what normally happens is, as you can expect with something of this tool, and like I said, if you're disgusted by uh, bodily fluids, you may want to skip the next, you know, five minutes or so. Uh, but but uh, what normally happens after a windy treatment is you pull it out and you get things flowing uh, from, from the number two region. So you pull it out and... Baby starts pooing, and you're just there to kind of, you know, you can keep him clean and whatever. He gets done with his poo. At least that's the way it's worked 500 times before. Uh, last Friday, I was doing our windy treatment. It's a special time between me and Philip where we just both agree not to talk about it. And uh, his natural uh, bodily uh, constitutional starts coming out but halfway through what normally is a disgusting but somewhat sanitary uh practice uh disgusting but sanit but but it's fairly clean practice uh my two-month-old baby goes ah! and then <laughs> and i'm not joking scott you ever seen like nickelodeon shows where like they they squirt slime up and into the yeah, faces of yeah, people. Yeah. Well, oh, no. it was it was like that, except for it was poop from my son. It got you in the face. It was everywhere. It was in my beard. It was on my clothes. It even got onto my foot somehow. And so, long story short, I'm uh, covered in baby poo. I've got one. I was able to get a diaper back on Philip, thankfully. And then I essentially throw my two-month-old at my five-year-old and say, if you keep him alive, I'll get you whatever you want for the next 15 minutes. As I run and shower. Uh, but I got pooped on by my so, baby. And I don't know how to... I don't know how to how to overcome that. So, so this thing has like a, a stopper on it, so you don't insert too far. Right. And then there's a pliable hollow tube, but he pooped after you took this out. Yeah, you take it out. Well, it gets clogged with poo, let's be honest. There's the initial gas, and then it gets clogged with poo, and then it's useless, and you throw it away. And then you just <sighs> kind of clean up the result. Can we talk about the cotton patch? 
We could talk about the cotton patch. Scott, do you have a confession to make about the cotton patch? Because I meant to bring that up. I meant to bring that up, and I completely forgot about it. <laughs> uh, what was my confession? For those who don't what, remember, what for those who don't remember, uh, uh, I guess it's been over a year now. We reviewed Clarence Jordan's The Cotton Patch Gospel. Go back. I hated and, it. Uh, Go back and, and watch it. I think it's called something like Father Divine and Brother Muhammad or something. I don't remember the exact title, but it's back there. Scott basically wrote it down as if it was the most blasphemous blasphemy that has ever been uh, written demon, in the history of the world. I'd rather be pooped on. What Clarence Jordan did was take the Bible and faithfully transplanted the Bible story from Palestine to southern United States. Scott, you might as well have told him that, that I don't know, Satan himself wrote it, the way that he reacted. Jesus was not born in Atlanta, Georgia. No, he was not, and nobody said that he was. Was it Jackson, Mississippi? I don't remember. I don't remember. I just remember that the governor of Georgia wanted to kill Jesus after he was born, so his family had to hightail it down to Mexico. Um. And the governor was that guy on Old Brother Where Art Thou, right? Right. Papio Daniel. Anyways. Yes. Fast forward to a, a couple of weeks ago, and I sent Scott a, a picture from a respected author that me and Scott mutually uh, agree with. A man by the name of David used, Roper. Used, used to mutually agree with. And in, in his commentary on the book of Acts, he actually <sighs> quotes... Quotes Clarence Jordan Cotton Patch Gospel to explain Luke's vision of the sheet uh, coming yep. down from heaven with the clean and unclean animals. He Clarence Jordan compares it to a big picnic or picnic blanket being coming down from the sky. And I sent it to Scott and I said, "Huh, looks like uh, you're right. The the Cotton Patch has no application whatsoever uh, that we can use in our preaching or teaching." And then Scott had Not. to eat crow, and he got sad about it. I didn't eat crow. Oh, I'm trying to look. I'm trying to look back for the text. Um, yeah, that was just horrible. Of all the things, Mister Mister, what's your name? I'm not even going to mention his name. You don't remember his name? I do remember his name. It starts with an R, rhymes with Groper. <laughs> no, I mean it does. Okay. Anyways. Let's just give up. Move on. Well, I've got a confession I need to make, Zach. And uh, you've been Kathy Bates this whole time. I have been. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> These are Zach's words. He literally made my argument for its value, putting it in the context that Americans understand. And my response was, I don't want to talk about it. I'll be in the corner pouting. Mm, but anyway, yeah. if we move on, Zach, I've, I've got a confession. Okay, confess. And, well, I, I did real good watching the first part of the movie. You didn't watch the second and, part of the movie? And And I stopped it where I thought that natural pause was going to be. Yeah. And then we were talking on the phone and you had mentioned about 
when the two arms come together and, and that was the fire in the arms, mm -hmm. the, the fire in the water that were on the arms. Well, I hadn't seen that part yet because it's that, that's about 10 minutes later than where I stopped it. Where and did I you thought, stop well, last week? You didn't exactly. realize that you stopped the movie when I started talking about the big fight that happens? No, I I just we had talked we had talked before and I hadn't stopped it as as early as what the stopping point was going to be. So I just went back and watched the whole thing and my cue was, well, I'll stop it when I get to the two arms, the one firearm right. and the water arm. And then I'll wait till after the episode to watch the rest of it. You watched well, the whole thing my, before we here's recorded last week's con, episode. Yes. You're I'm done with you. I'm absolutely I, done with you. But listen, you didn't I didn't screw up during the episode and give myself away. No, but I'm just I'm not even mad, Scott. <laughs> just I'm just, I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. <sighs> You realize that my no. wife, I made my wife wait an entire week before we could finish this movie. Really? Yeah. Because of this podcast. Yeah. Because well, I did it right. And I did it wrong. But listen, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. I said it there was your a fault. I said, just, I said there just, was a perfect stopping point in this movie. I said there's a natural stopping point because for 30 seconds... A computer-generated couple of arms come together and fire and water sprint or, or go around them. That is the only natural stopping part in this entire movie. Well, there's one before that when he's in bed dying, and that's where I stopped. Why? Why would that? Why would that be it, Scott? Because it was a break in the action. And the rest I, of the movies. Oh. Listen, the rest of the movie is going to come after that part. <laughs> I said there will come a natural stopping part that you can't miss. I said exactly. There, there would be no. There was no guessing. There was no. Hey, is this what he's talking about? And well, you said what? that's obvious enough that everyone will know. Yes. That five seconds he's yes. in bed dying. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, uh, I just. I just. And he said, I'll be back. And I'm like, okay, this is the stopping point. And then we talked and it wasn't the stopping point. No. And then I couldn't stop. Well, let me tell you. When I watched the ending again this last time, it was just as good as it was the first. Listen, let's get into it. RRR, okay. part two. Last week, we left on a, a bit of a cliffhanger. Or at least I did and you did, listener. Scott has... <laughs> The I had wrapped it up and put it to bed. Of a of a goldfish. And so he, of course, didn't. But let me just introduce you to our main characters. We had Raju, who is the fire, the loyal soldier of the British. And the British are currently occupying India at this time. And he came out on top of a massive and epic fight with Bahim, who is the water the protector of the indigenous Gon tribe, who, using wild jungle animals as weapons, has tried and failed to rescue Mali, the young Indian girl from the Gon tribe whose mom accidentally sold her into slavery to the evil Scott family. 
And the Scott family is comprised of Papa Scott. He's an evil white governor of India. Mama Scott, who's an evil white woman who has been plastic surgeried into a nightmare. And Jenny Scott, the cute daughter in Behem's crush. You may ask yourself, how could you mistakenly sell your daughter into slavery? Well, if you don't speak the language and you're thinking you're getting a little money for the show, it happened. Look, her, her daughter did a great face paint on that woman's hand. So, yes. So, <laughs> so the, there's two coins. We're taking your daughter with us. <laughs> so the second half of this movie begins like all great second halves of movies begin with two white guys in uniforms smacking the taste out of two Indian men inside a motorcycle repair shop. I, you know, the only reason I'm laughing is because you said, like the second half of every movie begins. I, I'm not laughing at this poor guys in the in the shop. That's the joke, Scott. That's the joke. But they were getting they were getting smacked. <laughs> we're then taken to the Scott Mansion, where Raju is being promoted to special officer and placed in charge of all the guns in India, apparently. This is the world's largest warehouse I've seen. Even the computer-generated, uh, uh, you know, overhead view of the Scotts compound. I don't know where this building is. This building is massive. It's like a... It's, it's huge. It's like a, a jet hangar filled with rifles. And then we have, he's given a special gun, Raju is. And then we're in a flashback. And we see Raju's father training an Indian militia when Raju was about 10 years old. The only problem is, they're all training with fake rifles. Matter of fact, there's only one gun in the entire militia. And that doesn't make for a very good militia, to be honest. And, no. uh, but that one, that one gun relong- or belongs to Raju's father, also known as Baba. But the men want some real guns, and some real bullets. And Baba holds up a bullet and asks if they know how much one bullet costs. And then we flashback inside the flashback. We're f- there was a lot of flashing going on. We're flashback squared to the time when yes. Baba was a member of the British Army. And a leader of the Indian village, this old fat guy, is tied to a tree. And he's given a death sentence for failing to pay taxes. And when the British man who's going to go and execute him walks forward to shoot this village leader, out marches a younger Papa Scott who gives a speech, the same speech from the beginning of the movie, about how a bullet's worth more than an Indian's life. So the soldier ends up going, well, okay, luckily I have this sledgehammer just conveniently sitting here for some reason, and he goes to work with the sledgehammer, and Baba leaves the English that evening. Then we flash forward to the first flashback, where Baba says that he isn't giving no one no bullets until he is sure that his men aren't going to miss. Because only when a bullet is steeped in English blood does it live up to its value. If you flash forward from the flashback, is that a flash sideways? I don't know. But I do know that two flashbacks don't make a flash forward. But they do make a flash right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
The next day, young Raju is having a hard time pressing the stock of his fake rifle to his real shoulder. Turns out that Raju took out his daddy's gun shooting last night. Uh-oh. And Baba is about to make the rest of him match his black and blue shoulder with his backhand. Mm-hmm. When Sita, a young girl at the militia camp, intervenes. And she's like, Baba, please don't beat your son for five seconds. Because turns out Raju's like really, really good with a rifle. And he takes her out or takes Baba out into the field. And, and sure enough, there's this log with a bullet hole in it right dead center. And Baba's like, Raju, where'd you shoot the gun from in order to hit this bullseye? And Raju points to a location that's like 20 miles away. Like further than any bullet in the history of bullets have ever traveled. You can only see the place with a telescope. Right. And of course, Baba's amazed. And what do you do when you're amazed because your son steals your gun and then makes an amazing shot? You just give him a big old hug. I love you, son. Now, back at the military camp, Baba's about ready to tell all the militia how great Raju is. But then, pew pew, the British attack. The more I talk about this movie, the more I realize that it sounds like this movie should be so depressing. I, you know, the second half, I didn't get the great delight as I did in the first half. No, but there's but, so much violence and bloodshed and death, and yet you you pretty much enjoy in every second of it. It's, it's yeah. really a really cool movie. People die really cool ways in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For example, in essence, oh, go ahead. For example, right after the British start attacking, Baba hides down behind a log, and and the British military guy's like, "Hey, he's got a megaphone up. Hey, bud, you want to come out? We got you surrounded and whatnot." And then Baba's like, "Nope." And then he aims and shoots right down the megaphone into the guy's face. And I was, and I told Kelsey when we were watching, I was like. If that didn't happen, I would have been disappointed. Yeah. But it did happen. Yeah. So the British are starting to shoot. Everybody in the militia camp is running away, except for Baba, who's got the one rifle, and he's he's shooting back at the British. And every shot he takes, he kills a British soldier. Now, mm-hmm. during the fight, as the militia is running away, one of the craziest things that I've ever seen in a movie occurs... There's this little girl in the middle of the camp crying because everybody around her is being shot. And this guy comes up, one of the militia members comes up and grabs her and says, it's okay, I've got you. Takes about three steps before he's shot in the back. And as he's shot, he throws the little girl into the air, like eight feet into this air, this poor child is. And then another soldier comes up, or, or another Indian militia guy comes up behind him and then catches the child and then keeps running. That is the, probably the only time I will ever see in a movie a flea flicker play being run uh, with a child as, as the ball. The old little girl flea flicker. I mean, but it is, it is. It's the only way yeah. you can describe it is that it was a flea flicker child rescue. going to be the little girl flea flicker on three on three set so bob is a one-man army picking off as many englishmen as possible eventually the entire military camp is able to get away except for raju who stayed behind to give his father more ammo 
Oh, and Roger's mom and baby brother get shot because his backstory needs to be more tragic, I guess. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, we're not sad enough right here. Eventually, the English get smart and they go, you know what? We can't shoot this guy because he's laying underneath a log. And so our, our line of sight is, is being hampered by this log. Why don't, I don't know, we get just a little bit higher. And so three soldiers climb a tree. They're only two feet higher off the ground, but they can finally start shooting Baba, which they do. Totally changed the view. They they shoot Baba uh, in the hand. His finger gets shot off. He gets shot in the back of the head during this. I had to rewind it and watch it. I go, did they just shoot him in the head? Yep, they sure did. Along with the back a couple of times. But don't worry, he's pretty much fine. Nobody dies in this movie until they have to. Um, But he can't shoot anymore because his finger's gone, I guess. And so he gives the gun over to Raju, who shoots a few more British soldiers. And the British are like, "Uh, guys, this is just too hard. We're going to go. Bye. See you later. The the British just leave. (laughs) There's, There's... 300 troops out in the field and two Indian guys with a one rifle with one rifle. And they held them off and they're like, yeah, sorry. Uh, we're going to go. And now that the fighting's over, Baba can die. But before he does, he makes Raju promise to find a way to get guns for every member of the militia, which I think is pretty harsh for your 10 year old. When you (laughs) yourself, Baba couldn't do that, but your 10 year old kid can whatever. It's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure even, on your son. Even worse than that is he makes him promise by shaking his hand. And his hand has a big bloody stump on it from where his finger used to be. Mm-hmm. And that grossed me out for some reason. Really? That the finger grossed you out? No. The All the other his, gore? No, 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 not that. The fact that his dad made his son shake his stumpy finger. Oh. <laughs> like, use your other hand, dude. Don't Don't make your kid touch your stumpy finger. That My grandfather. Just, that should be had, a rule of life. If you <laughs> get your finger chopped off, you are not allowed to touch your child with that hand until you get that thing sutured and closed until up. It's sealed. Yeah. My grandfather had uh, what it was two two and a half, uh, and they weren't full. He had some fingers uh, taken off in a sawmill accident. Right. And uh, he actually walked into town and got sewed up. They couldn't find the fingers, but he had this little nub on his middle finger and. I shouldn't say this, but he used to go around flipping my grandma off with that little nub. We can cut that. <laughs> just, I don't think I, I will. I just have I have nothing you. to say to that. I'm I'm thoroughly entertained by that story. I just I just have no reply whatsoever. She she would get she would get mad and agitated, and he'd he'd fly that little little quarter finger nub up, and anyway. Hey, guess what? We're done with flashbacks for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of a time. Back in modern day, Raju is writing a letter to Sita, his boo from back home. And he said, Dear Sita, guess what? I just got put in charge of all the weapons in all of India. So uh, I should be able to, to arm the, the rebel militia real soon. But I feel kind of bad, because in order to get this position, I had to betray my best bro, Bahim. And I feel real sad about that, so I'm pretty conflicted. Meanwhile, Papa Scott's back home cleaning up from Bahim's animal attack. And Papa Scott is, is none too happy. He's pretty put out by 
everything that occurred at his party the the other night, and he wants to make a little grump one. Right, and he wants to make an example of Behem to make sure no one tries to rise up against the crown again. And Mama Scott just wants to watch some punishment being doled out because she's a freak. (laughs) Of everything, of everything that goes on in this movie, she is like. The sick, disgusting, perverted, demented, mentally unstable person. Well, I think that's a little bit of her real life character getting into that. Because that plastic surgery yeah. wasn't makeup for the movie. <laughs> she was nasty. She was butchered by a surgeon, so she wants to watch everyone else be butchered. <laughs> so, Papa Scott orders Raju to publicly flog Behem until Behem falls to his knees and begs for mercy. Things look pretty bleak for Behem. And I'll be honest, this is a hard scene to watch. Because it goes on for mm-hmm. ten minutes. Scott, that's it's longer. That's longer than the flogging scene from The Passion of the Christ. I looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. Ten minutes of just watching Raju whip the living snot out of Behem, trying to get his friend to fall to his knees. But Behem refuses to kneel. Even when Mama Scott brings out her own personal pokey whip. <laughs> I don't, this, is not, this, is, <laughs> this is the weirdest scene in the entire movie. Because we're just beating Behem with a bull whip. And, yeah. and Mama Scott's like, there's just not enough blood here. Here, Raju, use this whip. And then she like reaches underneath her seat and pulls out. I don't even know what it, what it is. It's just a, a whip that looks like, you know those like spike strips the police use to pop yes. tires? It kind of looks yes. like that in whip form. Running clear up the whip. It reminded me of, because of, I just removed a bunch of carpet from my house. It reminded me of carpet tacks, like those strips mm-hmm. of carpet tacks. And yep. that's what made it hurt for me even worse, because I can't tell you how many mm-hmm. times I've been poked and scratched and whatever, getting those yeah. stupid strips of carpet tack up. Or like a like a thorn like a thorn bush, yeah. Like you got this the big stem on a thorn bush. I don't know, but I don't know why why she has that. Why was like does she carry in it around with her everywhere? In case they don't bleed enough. Like I just don't. Even even like the way she picks up, she had to poke her hand a little bit. Yeah, that thing just looks dangerous. So things even look even more bleak for Behem. Because now he's got this pokey whip to deal with. But don't worry, a leaf blows off a tree and smacks Behem right in the face and lands into a puddle of water that was not there at the beginning of this scene. I do not know where that water came from. It still bothers me to this day. Mm -hmm. And when Behem sees this leaf, it causes him to break out in the song. (laughs) He's he's re-energized. I'm not joking. Behem sings a five-minute song about himself. <laughs> He's just singing a song about how great he is. Chalk, 
सच्चा नहीं हो सच्चा नहीं हो कोमुरम भी मूडो कोमुरम भी मूडो सूरज beaten with the most atrocious bull whip you'll ever see in your life with the pokey whip and there's no way i mean you said so they they take the whip and they wrap it around this post and they pull it back out and this thing's just splintering and just tearing that thing to pieces truly on your flesh yeah no i mean that, it was there would be nothing left of you yeah, but it doesn't matter because he's singing a song about how he should build a fire in his heart and now he's not going to yes. kneel because he was born in the forest. And everybody knows if you're born in a forest, you don't kneel. You don't uh, kneel. And suddenly... Rajus, number one of the forest. <laughs> right. And suddenly Raju's lashes totally unfazed Behem. Behem's just getting whipped, smiling and singing a song. Even after no less than 20 pints of his own blood... <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he had to have been getting a transfusion clear through this entire time. Twenty pints of his own blood flows out of his body and makes a little river into the crowd of people. There's a bunch of Indian people around. They were forced to watch this. He still refuses to kneel. And seeing Beam's act of defiance, as well as his catchy song about himself. Sends the crowd into a frenzy, and they start attacking the British soldiers. And I mean, it's real gross. One lady takes a bite out of one of them. Another one just takes her nails down a, a British guy's face like he's Wolver or like she's Wolverine. And while this is happening, Raju just gets Behem's lifeless but still alive body to safety. And then that and night, he's not kneeled. And that night, Raju goes back to the the scaffolding where he was beating his friend. How he got out of that riot, I wish we would have seen that scene. The movie was three hours long. You couldn't have had an extra five minutes to tell me how he got out. Did he get a stick like he did with the police riot earlier in the movie? <laughs> Just beat his way out. <laughs> Give me some information. Anyways, he goes back to the scaffolding and he puts his hand down. Into a puddle of Behem's blood, because that's how blood works. It just stays liquid for, for hours and hours and hours, especially in the sun. And now he's got a bloody hand. I'm only telling you this because it's important here in a second. Okay, so he's got a bloody hand. <laughs> While this is happening, Raju's given a letter. He's going to be in charge of this large shipment of weapons. And this is what he's been waiting for. He can finally arm his militia. However, Raju decides that it's more important for him to focus on saving Behem, who is scheduled to be hanged in two days, and getting Mali back to Behem. Raju then manages to convince Scott, or Papa Scott, to move Behem's hanging outside of the prison walls. That way, the Indian people won't turn the prison into a shrine to Behem's martyrdom, and make Mali watch Behem's execution just to be more cruel. Scott loves his idea. They get into their cars, they're ready to do this, Keep in mind, this is like a day and a half after the uh, scaffolding beating. Mm -hmm. And Papa Scott and looks, Raju shake hands. perfectly healthy. Yeah. Well, Papa Scott and, and Raju shake hands. And then Papa Scott looks at his hand. It's a little bit of Behem's blood. So he hadn't washed his hand in two mm -hmm. days. 
And that, our dear listener, is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Raju then sabotages the rifles that are going to be used by the guards of the hanging. And the following day, it's one of the coolest scenes, stupidest scenes, but coolest scenes of the mm-hmm. movie. The following day, Raju's in a car with Mally in front of Papa Scott on the way to the hanging. He strikes a tripwire that's meant to send a tree across the road so Papa Scott cannot follow. But Papa Scott gets his driver to speed up the car, and the tree lands on the trunk of the car, catapulting Papa Scott into the air along with his gun. And he has the wherewithal, while he is flying in the air, to grab that rifle and shoot the back driver's side tire of Raju's car which for some reason sends the car into a barrel roll clockwise, which makes no sense. And as this car is just flipping over and over and over again, Raju and Mally get ejected from the car at like 99 miles an hour. It's ridiculously fast. But don't worry, neither of them are really hurt. I mean, Raju does roll into a tree branch and is impaled into his side. But if you remember back to the the fight at the first half of the movie, he was stabbed in the heart with three stone knife things that Behem had, and that was never addressed. So Just a small flesh wound. You mean, think it's, a tre- it's, an, it's an impaling. You He's think fine. a tree branch is going to stop him? Nah, be, uh, uh, Raju is basically immortal. Meanwhile, Behem is on the gallows, and he manages to get his hands free. And he just starts beating the snot out of all the guards around him. And they can't do anything, because remember, the rifles have been uh, tampered with. So, Raju is now off of the tree. And he is racing towards Behem to help him. And and Mali is running in front of him towards Behem. And between Raju and Behem, they kill about 500 Englishmen. <laughs> using... Just their legs, a stick, and the butt of a gun. Not one punch is thrown in this entire movie. It is nothing but just the power of thighs. Just snapping necks. The power of thighs. <laughs> that might be that might be your title this the coming week. It the power be. of thighs. <laughs> so Raju finally makes it to Behem. Mali is running in front of him. And an English soldier is behind a tree behind Behem, and he repairs his rifle. Raju sees the assassin and pulls his pistol, but to Behem, it looks like Raju's about ready to pop a cap in Mali. So, Behem leaps over Mali as Raju fires. He's leaping towards Raju. His bullet misses Behem by a centimeter, and it hits the assassin square in the dome, so the assassin's dead, as Behem, mid-air it seems, is able to get his hands on a, a club and just Whack! Raju right across the face with a tree branch. Mm. His BFF. And so in the end, to him. Right. In the end, Behem spares Raju's life and flees to safety with Mali. And Raju is taken into English custody as a traitor, but he's thankful he was able to help his friends get away. The end. Man. So, Scott, what did you think about that? <laughs> it's a great story. It's a great story. You know, a lot of movies would have ended that way too, just leaving you hanging. Not this movie. Next. This movie doesn't but let you hang at all. Much not the later, stuttering pirate. 
Months later, Papa Scott still hasn't been able to find and hunt down Behem, but his troops are combing the neighborhoods and getting close to, to cornering him. Raju is still alive, being given enough food uh, to just barely survive. He's being fed once a week in a jail cell, but don't worry, <laughs> because he's more muscular than ever. Because he it's spends the best shape of his life. Right. He spends every waking mo- moment just doing pull-ups. That's all he does. Just pull-ups. <laughs> 24-7 pull-ups. And he looks like a grizzly bear now. Because, yeah, he's got long hair and a beard. He looks like an Indian version of a Catholic Jesus. <laughs> okay, scratch what I just said. There's the title of this episode. <laughs> an Indian version of a Catholic Jesus. So anyways, why is he doing these pull-ups? Because he's still preparing to get the guns for his people, even though he's days away from his execution. Why? He doesn't care about the goal, as long as he's just working towards it, is what he said, which is real dumb, I'll be honest with you. But, whatever. And so Scott's like, oh, you're still working towards your goal. Let me do this. And he breaks Raju's knees, both of them, and throws them into a tiny hole in the ground. But don't worry, because Raju is able to reach up onto the lid of his tiny hole, which has some bars in it, and he just keeps doing pull-ups with his broken knees. He doesn't care. <laughs> so In reality, could you imagine how big his shoulders and biceps and triceps should be? He should look... I mean, am- no, he should look emaciated, or emaciated, whatever the word is. He should oh, yeah, look... Yeah, well, he has one meal no- a week. He has no sustenance. There's no reason why you should be able to do this. He should have trouble sitting up, let alone doing a (laughs) pull-up. That's all he's doing is pull-ups. Okay, so. Maybe he needs one of those butt whistles. While Behem, or Raju is doing pull-ups in his tiny tiny hole cell, um, while the pull-ups are happening, we see Behem and Molly living in a house with about 100 other people. And Papa Scott's police bust in the door and start searching. And it looks like Behem is caught. But don't worry, because Raju's fiance, Sita, just happens to be there for some reason. No, no, no clue why, but she's there. And she runs up to the police commander and is like, hey, bud, uh, everybody here has smallpox. So really want to be in here searching? And they're like, no, we don't. Uh, and so the police run away after kicking Sita in the stomach. And uh, Behem and Mali are safe. And then Behem learns that Sita is Raju's fiance, and he learns that everything that Raju had done was to help India's rebel militia. In a flashback, we have another flashback here, then tells us how far Raju has gone to help this revolution. Long story short, he shot his dad, Baba Stubbyfingers. When the, the Englishman pulled away because of the one gun, and a bunch of people shooting, or, or that one gun shooting a bunch of people, I should say. Uh, Baba took the opportunity to strap a bunch of TNT to himself. And then the, when the English came back, he gave himself up. There was only one bullet left for the one gun that the militia had. And Baba's like, hey, Raju, will you do me a favor and just shoot me in the back so this TNT will blow up and I can kill a bunch of soldiers? He actually wasn't a homicide or a suicide bomber. He was a homicide bomber. Right. It has never happened before in the history of anything. Until right then. 
So when a, when Bahim hears that his best buddy turned enemy is actually a hero fighting for the Indian people who only betrayed him to get guns for the militia, he just loses it. <laughs> he got a moment. <laughs> he got on Facebook. And just <laughs> he posted some sad memes. Especially when you learn that Raju then gave up his guns in order to save Mali and Behem from the noose. He loses mm-hmm. it even more. Especially when he learns that Raju's about to be executed. So Behem stops, has himself a little cry, and then promises Sita that he's going to go and get Raju and bring him back. After getting the jail blueprints from Jenny Scott, Behem goes and breaks Raju out of out of his his little little hole cell by literally just grunting real hard and ripping the door off its hinges. <laughs> just, just pulling four foot of concrete out of the ground. Right. There's a problem. Wasn't quite that thick, but I digress. But there's a problem. How are they going to escape? I mean, Raju has two broken knees, and Behem or Behem hasn't been spending the last several months doing pull ups. So they both are injured, I guess, even though Behem does have the strength to rip a, a jail cell door off of its hinges. Mm-hmm. But they do what do any you, of us you, would do in this situation. Uh, do, Behem, do you remember that cartoon Wonder Twins? No. Oh, they, they, they could, like, have Wonder Twin power, and they would, like, touch their hands together and say, Wonder Twin power, activate. Mm-hmm. And then they might become the form of wind and the form of rain, and they could just wreak havoc. I think they're the first Wonder Twins. Maybe. I like what I'm going to say better, though. Because, okay. Because <laughs> they do what any of us would do in that situation. Behem puts Raju on his shoulders, and they chicken fight their way out of the prison. <laughs> You're right. Chicken <laughs> fight. <laughs> I mean, that's what they do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's their under shoulders, chicken fight. And this is some of the most incredible scenes of the entire movie. And right. usually I'm so skeptical about this. I see this stuff. And this is just stupid. That can't happen. You can't even come close to doing that stuff. And in this movie, didn't mind it a bit. I Listen, loved it. You need to understand going into this movie that... The laws of gravity and the laws don't of exist. Bullets affecting human flesh <laughs> don't exist. Do not exist, and that these two are the just the the greatest chicken fighters of all time. <laughs> I mean, after doing some flips and uh, a, a few gnarly gnarly murders, they're able to no, escape. No, no, no. Now, let's, just, let's keep in mind here. You say flip, Zach. It's not one man flipping. The It's on the shoulders, and they're both flipping, right. which is incredible. It's a two-man flip. It's a two-man flip. It's a two-man chicken fight flip. But they do escape the prison pretty easily, and uh, but they still need to get out of the forest next to the prison. But Bahim has a plan. First... Yes. They need to do something about Raju's broken knees. Thankfully, Behem finds some leaves and scrunches them up and puts them on Raju's knees, so he's just fine now. He's healed. He's good. 
And then at a shrine, Behem also finds a bow and arrow and a couple of orange flags. So he takes a moment making Raju an Indian superhero costume and then gives him the bow and arrow. Good times. I don't know why he made Raju a pair of pants. I don't. Mm-hmm. But he did. He made him a pair of orange yeah. pants. And then the two of them, armed with nothing more than a bow and arrow, get to work slaughtering the entirety of Papa Scott Special Forces. Over the Over the course of a 20-minute final fight sequence, the following happens. Raju sets the entire forest on fire with one flaming arrow, along with several soldiers. Raju then prances like a deer around the soldiers, just shooting them one by one. He then, at one point, kicks an arrow through a tree, sending it into a soldier's ear, killing him. And then at that point, more soldiers arrive on motorcycles, and Behem finds a spear. And he immediately throws the spear at a motorcycle, which blows up like ten motorcycles. (laughs) And I like this movie so much, and I'm going... Well, maybe that could happen. Then Raju finds some grenades and ties them to his arrow and blows up most of the remaining motorcycles. Behem and Raju then jump over some fire and spear and arrow the rest of Scott's troops. And at one point, Behem picks up a motorcycle and uses it as a club for a little bit. (laughs) And then the fight's over. And the only injury to our heroes is just a little scratch. On Raju's arm. That's it. Small one. And the sun rises and Behem gets on a motorcycle that still works. The only one that still works. And Raju finds a random horse that's just been running through the forest. And the two of them (laughs) take off towards Papa Scott's house. And then Raju does some hand motions, which don't mean anything. But as we've seen in the first half of this movie, a couple hand motions from Raju. Plans just, boom, come together. And uh, Behem ramps his bike off of this dirt ramp and then ditches at the last minute but it sends the ramp towards Papa Scott's house and then at the last second before it hits the second story window of Papa Scott's house Raju manages to light his last arrow or one of his last arrows I guess he has one more arrow and fires a flaming arrow at the motorcycle exploding it and it just so happens that Papa Scott kept all of his TNT and explosives on the second floor of his own mansion. Yes. When it comes to bromance, there is no mountain high enough. Why? I don't care about the bromance. I want to know why all the TNT in India was on the second floor of that building. Because if it wasn't, how were they going to blow that place up? True. I mean, if it was out in the shed out back, <laughs> where you couldn't it was supposed to be. You couldn't have destroyed that. that it was in that hidden, <laughs> hidden warehouse of guns. <laughs> yeah, how's that going to work? So the whole complex just disintegrates in one big fireball, and in the explosion, Mama Scott gets killed, and Behem finds a stockpile of guns for Raju's militia, and he drags them out of the warehouse to where Raju is on the third floor of this destroyed building. Why didn't he just leave the guns there, Scott? Why didn't he like, hey, I found some guns. We can go back and get them here in a minute. It's not like there's more English troops around. (laughs) 
first floor, second floor, totally destroyed. Third floor still intact. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally good. And uh, Behem finds a stockpile of guns for Raju's militia, and uh, Behem shoots Papa Scott in the heart with one of the new guns. Sita and Raju are then reunited. Behem and Jenny Scott have a nice moment where they hug, even though Behem just murdered both her parents. Yeah. She knew they had it coming. Listen, I don't... I, I, but, she lived with them. She didn't yeah. maybe uh, uh, like their policies or their racism or the things that they said uh, about the Indian mm-hmm. people. But she didn't seem to have a, a terrible relationship with her parents. Mm-mm. I mean, even if you don't like your parents that much, much, if the murderer of both your parents came up to you and was like, hey, you want to hug it out? I think the answer is no, thank you, please. It'll be no. You'd shed a tear, you would think. Nope, she's fine. She's totally cool. Yeah. Behem's there to give her a hug. And uh, Behem and Raju make their bromance official by making a new flag with their blood. Yes. And the guns are delivered to Raju's people. And Mally's returned back to her mother. And RRR ends as great, all great movies end with the entire cast doing a about a 10-minute song and dance number where they sing about the Indian Revolution while smiling the entire time and wearing different hats and turbans. Bhima, you helped us achieve our dream. Inspired me to keep fighting for my cause. What can I do for you? Be my teacher. Like the end of every good movie. I don't know why, Scott, but after watching the 10-minute song and dance where they sang the same words over and over again, and I still have no idea what they said, uh, this is the only way this movie could have ended. Yeah. It was anything, the best way. Anything else would have been unsatisfactory. And the, the the songs are so catchy, though. The singing's good. I mean, it I, makes I, me think, Zach, that if I was ever getting whipped by a by a by a pokey cord, is that what you call it? Pokey whip, that I could just sing my way to health, and that pokey cord wouldn't even touch me. You say you could sing your way to hell? To health. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. If, if a man, if a man wanted to sing his way to hell, I assume he could. Singing his way to hell. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, uh, I like this movie so much, Zach. I just I do too. It was such. A it, good this movie. is just so. The whole movie is just like not me, not my personality, and it's just it's a great movie. I mean, I'm it is afraid, a great movie. I'm afraid that people aren't going to watch this because of uh, 
the way you have to describe it. But <laughs> it's a good movie. Hey, Scott, before we go, thank you for listening to Rotten and Righteous. If you will, give us five stars if you're listening on iTunes. If not, follow us wherever you're listening to. Tell your friends, tell your folks, tell your preacher about us, and then repent. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. I agree <laughs> with most of what you just said. But tell your preacher, are you sure? I mean, Are yeah. you sure we want to go that far? We need more preachers in our lives. Um. Well, yeah, there's that's true. If you happen to have any affiliation with the school of preaching, make sure you send this to Andy Robinson. <laughs> oh, gee, really? And and just encourage him to to let him know what two of his alumni are are doing with their lives. <laughs> this is this is a great idea. If you have uh, a suggestion for something you want us to watch, or if you you know like our show, or want to just tell us that we're idiots, that's fine too. Email at us or email us at uh, rhondarighteous at gmail.com or you can send us a message on facebook.com slash rhondarighteous. Hey, did you hear the um, <clears throat> rumor that's going around about about butter? Uh, no. Well, I'm not going to spread it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> not going to be spreading in butter rumors. <laughs>